Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Saying a look back for a moment, the coronavirus pandemic, that would be the virus itself and our government's response to it, turns out to have been the single most destructive event to take place in the United States in our lifetime. So destructive that it's going to be many years before we know for certain what the last two and a half years have cost all of us. But even now, the outlines of it are clear. COVID crashed our economy, first and foremost. GDP fell by the biggest percentage since the Great Depression. 22 million Americans lost their jobs in the first two months of the lockdowns. Remember that? What you may not know is that at least 5 million of them never went back to work. They dropped out of the workforce apparently for good. At the same time, as fewer people were working, thanks to the profligate lunacy of our leaders, our national debt rose by nearly $10 trillion, unprecedented. And along with the debt, our debt to China also rose. And then at the level of our society, every bad thing became more common. Drug ODs, suicide, illiteracy, crime, all of them skyrocketed. So did obesity, anxiety, and alcoholism, and virtually every other marker of social decay. Marriages and birth rates, meanwhile, dropped. So did church attendance. We could go on, but you know what happened because you live here. And none of that is even counting the deaths from the coronavirus itself. That's a topic that public health authorities have lied about so consistently that we'll likely never know what the real number is, but we can be confident the toll was in the hundreds of thousands. So on every level, COVID crushed America. Centuries-old traditions just evaporated. It's a different country and not a better one. But that doesn't mean that everybody suffered under COVID. Countless small businesses went under that devastated our middle class. But at the same time, thanks to the lockdowns, the tech monopolies thrived. Apple, Google, Amazon all saw their market caps explode. Jeff Bezos wound up much richer than ever before, not that he needed the money. But no group benefited more from the COVID pandemic than the leaders of communist China. By April of 2021, that would be more than a year into COVID, when we were suffering here in China, the GDP had reached the highest level ever recorded. Chinese economy was growing faster after the pandemic than it had been before the pandemic. And as a result of that, China will soon overtake the United States as the world's dominant economy. Soon. Now, if someone had predicted that to you 10 years ago, you would have laughed. It would have seemed ridiculous. But that was before COVID. Now it's real, and COVID made it possible. In other words, the coronavirus didn't simply change the United States. The coronavirus changed the balance of power in the world forever. So when you think of COVID that way, and that's the way the people who run governments think about it, trust us, when you think of it that way, it becomes pretty obvious that this was more than an overhyped public health emergency. In fact, it may very well have been a crime, the greatest crime in history. Was it? It's hard to think of a more important question than that. And yet our leaders seem curiously uninterested in answering it. Shortly after Joe Biden took office, he ordered the intel agencies to determine where COVID came from. And the report he got back stunned him. It was inconclusive. There are two theories, of course. One was that COVID came from a lab leak in Wuhan. The other was it came from a pangolin or some kind of animal. Here's what the intel agency said. The majority of elements within the intel community do not believe there's sufficient information to assess one to be more likely than the other. That may seem like not a big deal to you, but if you were the Democratic Party, if you'd spent a year dismissing any talk of a lab leak as a racist conspiracy theory, this was stunning. Because it suggested that actually the CIA thought it was entirely possible that the Chinese government manufactured coronavirus. So in May of last year, Joe Biden publicly, very publicly, sent that report back to the intel agencies and told them to, quote, redouble their efforts to find out where COVID came from. And he gave them a deadline of 90 days. In August, the report arrived. It was just a page and a half long, but it was more conclusive. Quote, 
One IC element assesses with moderate confidence that the first human in infection with the SARS-CoV-2 most likely was the result of a laboratory-associated incident probably involving experimentation, animal handling, or sampling by the Wuhan Institute of Virology, end quote. Now, that should have been a running headline for months after it was, and it almost immediately disappeared, but think about what they're saying. A lot of people in the intel community believe this came from a lab, not on talk radio, people who work at the CIA. And there are a lot of reasons to think they're right. State Department officials had visited that lab in Wuhan back in 2018, and according to the Washington Post, quote, they sent two official warnings back to Washington about inadequate safety at the lab, which was conducting risky studies on coronavirus from bats. Then it turns out one of the biggest funders of the Wuhan lab, that would be a man called Peter Daszak, who received millions in grants from Tony Fauci, boasted about manipulating coronaviruses in a lab right before the pandemic began. Remember this? Coronaviruses are pretty good. I mean, neurovirologists, you know all this stuff, but they, you can um, manipulate them in the lab pretty easily. It's yeah. just spike protein drives a lot of what happens with the yeah. coronavirus, uh, zoonotic risk. So you can get the sequence, you can build the protein, and we work with Ralph Barrick at UNC mm -hmm. to do this. Um, insert it into a backbone of another virus right. and do, do some work in the lab. That's an incredibly incriminating piece of tape. And yet that man, Peter Daszak, has not been hauled before a congressional committee. Has the CIA spoken to him? There's no evidence that they have. It looks to be that the experiments he was conducting, in part with American tax dollars, may have led to the destruction of the U.S. economy and millions of deaths. The Times of London reported that a virus 96% identical to the Wuhan coronavirus had been found in an abandoned copper mine in China in 2012. That virus was collected in 2013 and then stored and studied at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then on this show, we spoke to a Chinese virologist who says she was at the scene, who said that COVID originated from a lab experiment. All this was taking place in public. Our intel agencies could not deny it. But in their report, they gave Joe Biden an out. In their report that was not even two pages long, they said that in order to reach a definitive conclusion about where the virus came from, we would need the help from the government of China. And of course, the intel agencies knew we would never get that help. Quote, China's cooperation most likely would be needed to reach a conclusive assessment of the origins of COVID-19. So if you're the Biden administration and you really wanted to know where COVID came from, that line would justify putting immense pressure on the government of China to hand over the answers so we could find out what the hell just happened. But Joe Biden didn't do that. A few months after the Intel community's second report came out, a reporter asked Joe Biden, why haven't you followed up on their recommendation and pressured the government of China to ask, answer basic questions about where COVID came from? And you may remember this, or maybe you've never seen it before. Here's Biden's response. He just smiled and walked away. 800,000 coronavirus deaths. Um, if you have a statement on your responsibility, why haven't you uh, asked China to do more to be transparent on the origins? He just smiled and walked away. And no one followed up. There was no outrage in the United States Congress. No one in the media yelled at him for that. It was clear that Joe Biden had zero interest in finding out where the virus came from and whether or not China was involved. Now, why is that? Well, the Chinese government has made Joe Biden's family extraordinarily rich, richer than we knew. In fact, we just learned from the Washington Free Beacon 
The Biden administration has sent a million barrels of oil from our, not belonging to him, but to us, the American people, our strategic petroleum reserve to a Chinese-owned energy company that Hunter Biden has invested in. Remember they used to tell you that the Trump kids were so corrupt? All of them got poorer after four years of the Trump administration. But not Joe Biden's son. But it's not just Biden and his administration that has ignored China's potential involvement in creating COVID. The media are not interested either. Why is that? Well, keep in mind the government of China pays American media a lot of money. And in exchange, why not ignore what could be the crime of the century? In recent years, China has spent tens of millions of dollars on advertising in American newspapers. That would include the New York Times. And maybe that's why the New York Times COVID reporter, Apurva Mandeli, sent out, sent out this tweet last year. Quote, someday we will stop talking about the lab leak theory and maybe even admit its racist roots. But alas, that day is not yet here. So it was racist to ask whether the outbreak of a global pandemic in Wuhan might be related to the Chinese government lab in Wuhan that was experimenting on a version of the same virus. Yeah, that was racist. But the entire media took that posture throughout the pandemic. Note that it's a foreign virus, which it is, and you're a racist. But neither should we panic or fall back on xenophobia. Labeling COVID-19 a foreign virus does not displace accountability. The president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. And I think it's going to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of uh, xenophobia. The administration's labeling of this virus as foreign is undoubtedly playing into the rising xenophobia about it. Trump isn't cautioning us to check our racism, but is rather stoking xenophobic sentiment. The president says it's a foreign virus as if this was launched on us like an attack. We know what that's about. That's about him playing xenophobia, works with his base. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? Why do you keep using this? Because it comes from it's China. Racist. It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China. These people, they're stupid and they're dishonest, but it's more than that. Where did this talking point come from? It's racist to point out that COVID came from China. Well, this talking point became prevalent in March of 2020. And it just so happens, that's exactly when China's state-owned media tweeted that terms like Wuhan coronavirus were racist. Before China's government issued that order, our media here in the United States didn't recognize the term Wuhan coronavirus as a slur. In fact, they themselves said it constantly. Here's the proof. The Wuhan coronavirus has now surpassed the 2003 SARS outbreak. The first U.S. case of Chinese coronavirus was confirmed at her one of her hospitals. Inside that building is the world's first lab-grown copy of the Wuhan coronavirus outside mainland China. The Chinese coronavirus death toll has jumped to at least 26 people. The death toll from the Wuhan coronavirus spiked today. The Chinese virus, the coronavirus that is worrying the whole world. So those clips are all from February of 2020. Chinese media tells them that the term Chinese coronavirus, Wuhan coronavirus, those are racist terms. So the American media immediately declares that those are racist terms. They're taking their orders directly from Chinese state media. So are you surprised they're not really interested in finding out where the COVID virus came from? 
But we're interested in the topic, and it turns out there's a lot of very interesting information that the Intel community somehow left out of its page-and-a-half-long report. We're going to start in May of 2021. That's when Joe Biden ordered the Intel community to assess this. But we're going to include information that they left out. Here it is. On May 5th of 2021, a former New York Times science reporter called Nicholas Wade wrote in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists a review of something called the furin cleavage site of the virus. That's something that increases the viral infectivity of human cells. His analysis included this quote from David Baltimore, who's a virologist and former president of the California Institute of Technology. Quote, when I first saw the furin cleavage site in the viral sequence with its arginine codons, I said to my wife, it was the smoking gun for the origin of the virus. These features make a powerful challenge to the idea of a natural origin for SARS-2. In other words, when I looked carefully at the virus, I realized it was man-made. And then later in May, 18 prominent scientists published a letter in the journal Science saying a new investigation was needed because, quote, theories of accidental release from the lab and zoonotic spillover both remain viable. Now, keep in mind, this is how scientists write, but the headline is, actually, the lab leak theory might not be a theory. Now, among the people who signed that letter was Ralph Barrick. He's a virologist from the United States who works closely with Shi Zhengli. That's the infamous bat lady from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. If Ralph Barrick's name seems familiar to you, it's because that name was in many internal emails that we now have seen from inside the National Institutes of Health. Those emails came out in June of 2021. And in those emails, we learn that in the earliest days of the pandemic, researchers warned Tony Fauci that the virus appeared to come from a lab, that it wasn't natural, it was man-made. Christian Anderson, a virologist at the Scripps Institute in La Jolla, California, wrote this, quote, The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome, less than 0.1%. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. This is at the very beginning. People who are looking through microscopes at the virus said to themselves, wait a second, someone made this. The emails also show that Tony Fauci demanded information about gain-of-function experiments from his subordinates, particularly gain-of-function experiments in Wuhan. Fauci then sent an urgent email to his deputy, a man called Hugh Auchincloss. The subject of that email is in all caps, and it was this. Important, quote, Hugh. It is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper as well as the email that I will forward. You will have tasks today that must be done. End quote. Fauci then attached a document to the email mail, titled Barrick, She, et al., Nature Medicine, SARS Gain and Function, PDF. Now, keep in mind that Tony Fauci denied under oath that Ralph Barrick, a researcher in the United States, had ever conducted gain of function research in Wuhan. And yet here was Tony Fauci emailing his subordinates about Ralph Barrick's work with Wuhan's bat lady, who was the person conducting infamous experiments on bat coronaviruses that may have changed the global order. They may have caused this pandemic and put China ahead of the United States and therefore in charge of the world. Now, around the same time, the email showed the director of the NIH, the now completely discredited Francis Collins, was trying to bury the lab leak theory. Collins wanted his underlings to find, quote, something NIH can do to help put down this very destructive conspiracy, end quote. Now, keep in mind, Francis Collins, at the very same time, was running around telling everyone what a great Christian he was. 
and doing all these interviews with the evangelical websites, telling people to listen to what Tony Fauci was saying. Believe the U.S. government. No, the lab leak theory is ridiculous. Get the vax. That was Francis Collins. Well, it turns out he was lying. But none of this made it into the intel agency's one and a half page report to Joe Biden. Neither did the news that the Wuhan lab spent hundreds of millions of dollars on new filtration system shortly after the pandemic began. Really? On September 16th, 2019, nearly three months after the first reported cases of COVID-19 emerged, the Wuhan lab agreed to spend $606 million on a, quote, central air conditioning renovation project. $606 million. It's a lot for HVAC. So in the face of all of this evidence, which at this point is overwhelming, the World Health Organization, of all places, is demanding a new investigation into the origins of COVID. Keep in mind, WHO rigged the last investigation by making Peter Daszak the sole U.S. investigator. But officials in this country, for reasons we can't understand, are still resisting efforts to find out what was happening at the Wuhan lab, with, by the way, the support of U.S. taxpayer. Now, what's the Wuhan lab up to now? Well, it may come as a surprise to you that at the Wuhan lab, they're now working on monkeypox viruses. In fact, they're more than working on monkeypox viruses. They're assembling new monkeypox viruses. According to one study underway at this moment, quote, since MPXV infection, that'd be monkeypox, has never been associated with an outbreak in China, the viral genomic material required for a qPCR detection is unavailable. And therefore, the lab has to engage in, quote, viral DNA recombinations, creating a fragment of the virus from the ground up, which they call a, quote, fail safe. In other words, Frankenstein crap with monkey pox. Amazing. In the face of all of this, the White House has buried any real investigation into the origins of COVID. And so this research is allowed to continue. Research that could make COVID look like nothing. No one's saying anything about this. So tonight we want to talk to someone who has not been in lockstep, someone who from the very beginning has been brave enough to point to the most obvious origin of COVID, and that would be the lab in Wuhan. And that man's name is Stephen Mosier. We first talked to him in February of 2020. Well, I think I think it escaped from the lab because uh, we have the Chinese government basically telling us that it did. Wuhan is a only level four laboratory in all of China. So that's where you would put a dangerous pathogen. Whether you were genetically engineering it to be a weapon or not, that's where you would be experimenting on it. So it makes sense that the epicenter of the epidemic, that the lab there would be the source of that virus. Stephen Mosher was the first person we heard say that. Very few honest people would disagree at this point. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. I'm Tucker Carlson tonight. Is that eventually there will be knowledge systems that will govern society, which will be perfectly rational. And because they're so rational, they will not be understandable by the average human because they can't explain themselves. There's a saying you'll hear now and again that says Democrats don't want conservatives to speak, but conservatives want Democrats to talk more. Democrats are censoring and banning conservatives, but conservatives want Democrats to speak more openly. We want them to talk in detail and provide specifics. 
which they seldom ever do because if they explain themselves thoroughly, everyone will see the sham they're trying to pull. So when Democrats do speak honestly about their intentions, it becomes a blessing to conservatives. For example, take former Google CEO and Hillary Clinton crony, Eric Schmidt. Schmidt went on the Hoover Institution to promote his new book about artificial intelligence because the Hoover Institution has completely lost its way and now promotes tyrants they claim to be against, but that's neither here nor there. Eric Schmidt is your prototypical coastal elite whose god complex is so out of control it may only rival Barack Obama. And boy, if you think the global elites are tyrannical today, just wait until you hear what they have planned for us in the future. The important point is humans are not mathematically as precise as we wish that we are. And indeed, human intuition is often wrong. And so one of the concerns that we have, which we state in the book, is that eventually there will be knowledge systems that will govern society, which will be perfectly rational. And because they're so rational, they will not be understandable by the average human because they can't explain themselves. And Dr. Kissinger points out that in history, one of two things happens in that case. Either you have a revolution in the form of guns against the, the man, if you will, or you have a new religion. And we speculate that one of those two will occur as a result of these extremely large gains in perception from non-animate non uh, intelligences. So, so the, the thought experiment is that instead of Dr. Fauci, we have an all-knowing uh, computer, which basically pronounces important things for health. And it can't explain itself. When Google's DeepMind announced uh, that after just a few hours of training itself uh, to play the game, their AlphaZero program had defeated what was then the world's most powerful chess program, Stockfish 8. Now I'm going to quote the book. The tactics AlphaZero deployed were unorthodox. It sacrificed pieces human players consider vital, including its queen. And later, a few pages later, you, you raise a really key question. Quote again, what if AI recommended that a commander-in-chief sacrifice a significant number of citizens or their interests in order to save, according to AI's calculation and valuation, an even greater number. This was the part of the book that electrified me. The thought that AI learns in such a different way from humans that it can contemplate tactics that any human chess player or general would regard as involving too great sacrifice, even if from an AI point of view, those tactics would be uh, likely to deliver ultimate victory. Tell us a bit about that, because it does get us, if not to killer robots, then at least to AI giving advice to decision makers that could involve shocking sacrifice in pursuit of ultimate victory. So we've seen this scenario you're describing in movies a few times where the hero is sacrificed uh, because of the good of society. And so you can imagine looking at the way Google, uh, sorry, uh, DeepMind played both uh, Go as well as chess, that strategies that are seen as immoral might ultimately deliver victory. Um, we also say in the book, just to take on your point, that it's possible that AI at some level will see realities that humans can't see. The fact that AI could discover moves that humans had not discovered in 2,500 years in a well-established game indicates that it may be, it may just be smarter, but it may also see things that humans will never understand. And that's again a speculation. So what we say in the book 
is that we, we really think society needs to put teams together to address these issues. We further say in the book, and Dr. Kissinger, who you obviously know extremely well and are a famous biographer of, believes very strongly that what we're seeing is a new epoch. He argues that there was this age called the age of faith. You can describe that for our listeners, uh, which was replaced by the age of reason. Again, you can describe that better than I. Um, that, that was the key change hundreds of years ago that allowed us to get to the point of what we think of as today of human intelligence. He believes, and rewrote in the book, they were entering a new age because of this unintelligible or perhaps un, 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 ununderstandable capability that AI will have. A computer program that can use unprecedented strategies to win a chess match proves that robots can see realities humans can't see, and we have much to learn from the robots. He explains that human intuition is often wrong, and humans aren't as mathematically precise as we wish we were. For these reasons, a better future can be achieved by submitting ourselves and our society over to machines who are more precise and not distracted by pesky things like human intuition. After all, if artificial intelligence can master chess, why can't they master society? Schmidt inadvertently reveals what the future leftist utopia actually looks like. A world where we are under complete control of machines, which of course will be operated by elites. Schmidt's utopia is a place where some entity has complete unilateral control without any expectation to explain itself. Only a power-obsessed global elite would have such a disturbing vision. The real leftist utopia is complete control with zero accountability. When Schmidt is questioned about the moral aspects of these tyrannical robots who could make grossly immoral decisions because they don't have a conscience, Schmidt's solution is for society to put teams together who will address these issues. And who do you think will be on these teams that make sure the master robots will make moral decisions? My guess is that it will not be Bob the Mechanic from Ohio, but global elites like Eric Schmidt, Bill Gates, and John Kerry, who we can trust to make sure that the artificial intelligence programs are moral and just. Schmidt's answer reveals his true motivations because in this scenario, the robots aren't the ones who are in control, the elites are. The artificial intelligence is merely a proxy for the elites. The future leftist utopia is a world where the elites rule by using artificial intelligence as proxies who can reinforce their lies and shield them from blame. The same way fact checkers protect media publishers by pretending to be an objective third party, thus adding the illusion of credibility to reinforce the lie, the robots will protect and reinforce falseness on behalf of the elites here. Just as Jen Psaki cites Snopes or PolitiFact to avoid explaining the incoherent or demonstrably false statements made by fellow Democrats, the elites can point to robots who are above questioning. Instead of Dr. Fauci lecturing us about how unscientific we are to challenge his flip-flopping and incongruent statements, we'll have an equally infallible robot who does not need to answer questions because they can't explain themselves, according to Schmidt. Any dissent can be attributed to the irrationality of those individualistic personalities who reject the science and reason of the robots. Are you getting it now? The real leftist utopia is complete control with zero accountability. It's perfectly understandable why an elite tech mogul like Schmidt would find this future where the robots and AI are in control desirable. Think of what we've recently been told by the Democrats in the media. Inflation doesn't exist. That greedy oil companies and Vladimir Putin are responsible for high gas prices and inflation. That 
men are women if they identify as such. Uh, Not long ago, they told us that COVID-19 vaccines prevent infection and transmission. They told us that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, that the 2020 election was the most secure in history, and that Donald Trump was a Russian stooge. In Eric Schmidt's utopia, all the lies and frauds perpetrated by Democrats will finally go unchallenged. After all, the robots cannot be biased or have a political agenda. They can't be swayed by disinformation or conspiracy theories on social media. The king robots will not be accountable for the consequences of how they govern either. If people take umbrage with how the robots rule, that's only because we peasants cannot understand how rational the robots are with our inferior minds and emotions. But a few moments later, Schmidt references Henry Kissinger's new epic theory, that we have graduated from the age of faith and are now in the age of reason. For Kissinger and other high-ranking tech gurus like Eric Schmidt, our society graduated from the backwards ideas of religious faith and elevated ourselves into the age of reason. And we will soon move on to the next stage of human intellect where our submission to global elites ruling us through software and algorithms and robots awaits. Apparently, the age of reason that we're in now is a place where men can be women when they decide to be. What's laughable about this whole idea is just because a robot can do impressive things on a chessboard, uh, that success cannot be extrapolated to suggest the same AI will be qualified to govern people in societies across the world. Chess has a specific number of spaces, players, and rules that are very rigid. That is not how society works. The computer program likely has calculated thousands of simulations of chess play to calculate the moves with the highest probability of ultimate success. A computer program can do no such thing regarding societal matters. Can the computer also simulate societies, laws, cultures, religions, territories, and economies to determine the right course of action for tomorrow's America? Schmidt takes an example of a software program that has been developed to master a very specific game and extrapolates that success to postulate that this type of technology could rule us all and we'd be better off for it. But what is truly most attractive to people like Eric Schmidt is that he knows that those who control the robots will actually be the ones in control. So he and elites like him will eventually try to sell everybody that we should listen to the robots because they are devoid of bias, expecting us not to wonder or ask who is responsible for programming the machines. But this is the problem that I've had among friends and colleagues about these devices like Alexa and Google Home. It's not just the fact that they're creepy and always listening, but the whole point of these devices is to become the single source of truth by which they can control information. Essentially, these devices are designed to cut in front of Google as the major source of information. Instead of Googling something, where the results on the first page are carefully curated to push radical leftist media, asking Alexa or Google Home can provide you with only one answer instead of pages of them. Ask Amazon's Alexa to tell you everything about Muhammad and it will exclude all the murders and rapes that the New York Times or Huffington Post would also omit. But for elites like Schmidt, devices like these are not biased because they are only pulling information from trusted sources online like Wikipedia. So they remove accountability for themselves as well and expect everyone to assume the sources Alexa is getting aren't corrupt propaganda websites owned and operated by elites like Schmidt to begin with. The point is, robots aren't smart. They can only do what they are programmed to do. But an entity that does exactly what it's told closely resembles the left's current constituents. Thus, robots are perfect just as compliant as your average leftist while possessing the same lack of accountability to explain itself under questioning. What's important about Eric Schmidt's statements here is that global elites are trying to drag society down a road to a better society, but seldom explain what the end destination actually looks like. But thanks to former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, we know exactly what kind of society they are trying to build. A society where they have complete control with zero accountability. 
Let's check in on how the general public is reacting to the liberal world order. The liberal world order. Net zero. Climate change cuts. The green agenda. What are we saying? Good thing? Bad thing? Seems pretty unanimous. The Netherlands, yellow vests, 2.0. But what's the beef? Well, it turns out that Dutch farmers aren't too pleased about climate change technocrats passing laws which will completely destroy their livelihoods. The government plans to restrict nitrogen and ammonia emissions by at least 50% by 2030. Problem being, fertilizers contain a large amount of nitrogen oxide and livestock produce ammonia in their urine and feces. Result? Farmers will be forced to cull 30% of their their livestock putting many of them out of business forever. Highlighting how this is a selective attack, the same regulations won't be applied to the airline industry. Still, at least the farmers are finding a use for all that unwanted feces by spraying it on government buildings. Tractors are also being used to block food distribution centres, sending a message to the government about what happens when you fuck with farmers. Some farmers even brought their cows to the Dutch parliament, threatening to slaughter them on the streets. Fishermen have also joined the cause blocking ports. Farmers in Italy have also begun their nascent rebellion, threatening to take their tractors to Rome. They're joined by Polish farmers who are also marching in the streets, but authorities in the Netherlands have responded by telling demonstrators to go whistle. And just like Trudeau did in Canada, demonising them as extremists, culminating in an incident earlier this week where police fired live rounds at protesters in their tractors. Cops claimed the protesters were trying to run over the officers, but video shows that that clearly didn't happen. Nee joh, hey wapens jongen, wapens. Hey, Wolle, rij weg jongen, rij weg. Wapens is daar. Despite bullet holes in the tractors, by some miracle no one was injured. And take a look at this prick. Who does he think he is? Fucking Rambo? When BLM protested, Dutch cops took the knee. But when working class people slowly drive their cars at a protest, they get guns pointed in their face. They even changed the law so that cops who kill protesters are completely immune from manslaughter charges. Authorities have also allegedly planted agent provocateurs to infiltrate the protests, presumably to both frame them for violence and to spy on activist leaders. Yeah, if these fellas glow any brighter, they're gonna outshine the sun. Activists have accused the government of cowing to globalist climate change policies at the behest of the World Economic Forum. And its infamous leader, the wannabe Bond villain, Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab. From the World Economic Forum. So we will see definitively a lot of anger. Um. Schwab's warning about increasing anger seems pretty prescient until you realise it's the globalist control freak green agenda that he fronts that's causing all the anger. A lot of anger. The Netherlands is one of the largest exporters of meat in the world and the largest in Europe. Why when we're in a global food crisis caused by the current thing? Are they imposing policies that would jeopardise the food security of hundreds of millions of people? Why is Denmark, Belgium and Germany all considering the same measures. Western governments paying farmers to not produce food. Do they actually want to create a famine? Is this why they're preparing us all to eat bugs? These are uh, grasshopper kebabs. 
technocrats order us to get used to energy rationing, limits on hot water, limits on the very temperature at which you're allowed to heat your own home, while Davos elites, fresh from landing at lavish resorts in luxury private jets, insist nations shouldn't exercise their sovereignty to upset the global green agenda, while Prince Charles tells you to stop taking hot baths and forget about your annual family holiday. He prances around on CO2 belching helicopters to quote, avoid the traffic, while Bill Gates tells people entering fuel poverty that they should start paying carbon taxes, and amplifies the Davos mantra that private property for the average person will become a bygone relic, as he voraciously snaps up record amounts of farmland across the United States. So they want to drastically reduce our living standards, leaving us starving and impoverished. We need to accept that there will be some pain in the process. A lot of anger. Is that the end game of the green agenda? The liberal world order? Surely not. But wait, the fact checkers have arrived. Reuters says there's no evidence the Dutch government is working with the World Economic Forum to impose the Great Reset. That's the same Reuters that enjoys an exclusive partnership for content distribution with the World Economic Forum. I'm sure they're totally not biased at all. Meanwhile, on the flip side of the coin, as working class farmers get brutalised, upper middle class climate change activists and eco-warriors get treated with kid gloves, Tarquin, Tabitha, Fifi and friends are now gluing themselves to works of art to bring attention to the climate crisis. The same climate crisis being pushed by every major institution, legacy media outlet and government in the West. Yeah, if your rhetoric mirrors that of every establishment tentacle in existence, ever considered that you're not part of the rebellion and that you're doing the bidding of the very same establishment you claim to oppose? Turns out one of these Just Stop Oil activists has clocked up 50,000 air miles in the last five years alone, while virtue signalling about the dire threat posed by CO2 emissions. She's been personally responsible for emitting 13 tonnes of carbon dioxide. It's okay when we do it. While these useful idiots advocate for the globalist Great Reset that would exacerbate the already chronic cost of living crisis and are afforded lavish, sympathetic media coverage and a light touch by authorities, working class people across Europe are seeing their futures decimated. And whenever they dare speak up about it, they're roundly monstered and attacked. <laughs> If this uber-progressive Great Reset, this super-humane liberal world order, order. represents such a warm, fuzzy, touchy-feely utopia, why is it being vociferously opposed across the entire continent by the very people it will impact the most? absolutely crucial for you to help me fight the war on free speech by supporting me via subscribe star link in description and also signing up for my free newsletter at summit.news forward slash newsletter dennis prager here thanks for listening to the daily dennis prager podcast to hear the entire three hours of my radio show commercial free every single day become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Dennis Prager Show. It's not an assassination, but in the realm of the damage to the body politic, 
damage to the society. I have another story for you. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh went out to dine at a Morton Steakhouse in Washington, D.C., and thugs of the pro-choice movement, not everybody on the pro-choice side is a thug, but thugs on the pro-choice side told Mortons to kick him out and uh, so harassed him that uh, he, uh, he sneaked out of the restaurant through the back entrance. This is from Mediaite. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh forced to escape D.C. Steakhouse threw back due to protesters. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh exited a Washington, D.C. steakhouse this week through the back door due to protesters, reported Politico. The outlet's Playbook newsletter reported on Friday that Kavanaugh was, quote, dining at Morton's downtown D.C. location as protesters soon showed up out front, called the manager to tell him to kick Kavanaugh out, and later tweeted that the justice was forced to exit through the rear of the restaurant. We hear Kavanaugh snuck out the back with his security detail at Morton's. Morton's should be ashamed for welcoming a man who so clearly hates women, tweeted, shut down D.C. Well... He hates women. That's right. What starts as a as a phony line on the left becomes believed by many leftists. So the majority of those who are anti-abortion are women. More women are against abortion than men. Uh, according to polls that I have seen throughout my life, and I guess they hate women too. They very rarely argue. If you notice, there are almost no arguments on the left. There are lines. Let a woman do what she wants with her own body is a line. It's not an argument. She's not doing it with her body or to her body. She's doing it to another body. You, the pro-choice people, and I, I've never called them pro-abortion, but apparently very, very many are. They think it's a moral good abortion. Not a tragedy that should be allowed, but a moral good. The An abortion is done to another body. So the line, a woman should do what she wants with her own body or hands off my uterus, the irony is the, the pro-life people want hands off a woman's uterus. That's the irony. You hate women, according to these pro-lifers. You hate women if you have moral problems with abortion on demand. That's novel, isn't it? I've asked this all my life, do leftists believe their lies? I've come to the conclusion that they do, 
that anything said often enough, like men give birth, is ultimately believed. If you repeat a lie often enough, no matter how big, in fact, the bigger it is, I think this was Goebbels' line. If you repeat a big lie often enough, many people will believe it. It's very scary. It's a scary crowd on the left. It is, a, it is deranged. What they're doing to children. The National Education Association has a, has a meeting going on and it will vote on whether to ever use the term mother again or birthing person. That's deranged, my friends. It is deranged. There is a... Sean, did you find the Tucker Carlson? It's at at the very beginning. And there is a, a, a saying which had a deep impact on me. I told you I was raised with Hebrew aphorisms, which really formed the Weltanschauung, the worldview of my life. One of them, also from the Talmud, so about... 18, 1700 years old, and probably older than that. Those who are cruel to the kind will be kind to the cruel, or I think it's the other way around. Those who are kind to the cruel will be cruel to the kind. If anything portrays accurately the left, that line does. They are kind to the cruel and cruel to the kind. I have an example coming up. I was not familiar with this story. I guess it took place last week. Maybe it took place the day before. I, I don't know what day it took place in New York City. This is a classic example of the moral sickness so it's sociopathic, actually, sociopathologic, whichever term you wish. The rot that has seeped into the left. People who do evil are protected, and people who protect themselves against evil are prosecuted. George Soros, who was such a bad human being that I, this, this will sound, I admit, odd, but I I have found that being transparent is ultimately a benefit. I have never believed in the diabolical, that is, that province of life that belongs to the devil. As Isaiah 45, 7 notes, God is the ultimate author of both good and evil, because there's only one God, and I didn't, I didn't believe in a counterforce. But there are people who make you think maybe that maybe there is this counterforce of evil present. George Soros is an example of that. A man who devotes his life to destroying what is good. So he has these prosecutors who are truly diabolical human beings, 
Los Angeles, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New York City, who, whose motto is, be kind to the cruel and be cruel to the kind. I'll, I'll have you hear Tucker Carlson describe it, but first I'll just summarize it for you. A 61-year-old Hispanic immigrant, Dominican Republic, working very hard to make a living. A woman trying to steal a potato chips. This guy running a bodega is not what we would call rich. Told her to put them back. She called her boyfriend, who then attacked him, tried to beat him up. It's all on video. And the bodega owner, 61-year-old Dominican immigrant, stabbed the man to death. He was then arrested by New York City police. Bail, $250,000. People with rap sheets as long as a telephone directory have minimal bail, if any. This guy was put in Rikers Island prison. This moral giant, this hero of goodness, is arrested in the sick world of New York, Philadelphia, L.A., San Francisco, anywhere where a Soros-funded DA is in charge. Putting this man in prison for protecting his life against a man who had a rap sheet and who came to hurt him, maybe kill him, but certainly hurt him. Putting that man in prison is the mark of a very, very sick society. Very sick people do that. The district attorney in New York is a sick bastard. We have truly bad human beings. I, it, it, it's painful for this America-loving citizen to think that the society has been able to produce such low life, such bad, bad, bad people like these district attorneys and the Soros who fund them. Where does it come from? The sick mentality. I'll tell you where it comes from in part. Something I have warned about all of my life. The left has no moral compass. It is not a matter of broken. They don't think in moral terms. They think in racial and economic and gender terms. They think of black and white. So it was a black man trying to beat up the Hispanic. Therefore, he is right. The black man beating up the non-black is right because he's black. That is how leftists think. I was told this at Columbia University. A black cannot be a racist. A sick, sick notion. There is no universal morality. The, the bedrock of Western and Judeo-Christian civilization is that morality is universal. There is no universal morality on the left. There never has been. 
There is a right for the working class, according to Lenin and Marx, and a wrong for the working class. There's no right and wrong for all. There's no right and wrong for all colors. Blacks go by a different moral code, according to the left. And yet, people who believe in a universal moral code will vote Democrat. Again, this year. They are as responsible for the rot that put this man in jail for protecting his life as any leftist. It is the cowardly, weak, indoctrinated liberal who has made the left possible. There are not many leftists. Liberals put them into power. They're preoccupied with Trump. That's how they think. Uh, How much time do we have for Tucker here? Well, we'll start it. Take it away. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Here's a story that tells you a lot. Last Friday, a 35-year-old convicted felon called Austin Simon walked into a neighborhood convenience store in Harlem in New York City and pushed his way behind the counter. Austin's girlfriend had just had a dispute with the clerk in the store. The clerk was a 61-year-old Dominican immigrant called Jose Alba. The woman wanted a bag of potato chips, but there was no money left on her government-issued food stamp card. So the clerk tried to take back the chips. The woman became enraged and went and got her boyfriend. Now, the boyfriend, Austin Simon, had a long history of violent crime. Simon had spent at least three years in prison for assault. Okay, we'll hold it there, and we will continue upon return. The Dennis Prager Show. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and lotiony in the store, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at My Pillow found that out around 2006, and towels changed forever. He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work, and that happens to be true. I use them. They are all made with USA cotton, and they come with the MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. Six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. Regularly $109.99, now $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels, by entering the promo code Prager, or call 800-761-6302 for these great radio specials. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. Man starts beating up a store clerk in Manhattan. 61-year-old man, 30-something-year-old guy with a rap sheet, starts beating him up because the girlfriend tried to steal chips and he took the chips back and the man who tried to save his life by stabbing the guy successfully and killed him is uh, is charged with murder in New York City because of a Soros funded DA there 
remember this is as I said I've said it all of my life the normal moral compass does not apply on the left there is no right and wrong that is universal right and wrong depends on black or white powerful or weak male or female rich or poor it is the antithesis of the Judeo-Christian moral foundation of the West. There is one law for all because there is one God from whom moral law emanates. The sophisticates, the sick people who think left, leftly, laugh at those of us who believe in this God. Soros and these DAs and the left are the consequences of the death of that God in the West. So even if you think it's a fairy tale, let's put it this way, it is a morally necessary fairy tale. I don't believe it's a fairy tale, but even if it is, its death leads to the unraveling of civilization, the ascent of barbarity, as you have in Manhattan in this case. Continue with Tucker Carlson, please. Parole expired last May. Though Simon had no apparent job, he was wearing a $300 designer T-shirt and a gold earring. And he was extremely angry. He was furious. Austin Simon threw Alba into a wall, then leaned down and screamed in his face. When the older man stood up, Simon grabbed him by the neck. Here's a local news account describing what happened next. Surveillance video shows 37-year-old Austin Simon push the clerk behind the bodega counter and then stand over him. Moments later, a struggle ensues. The two wrestle and the clerk stabs Simon multiple times. This happened late Friday night in the Blue Moon convenience store off West 140th Street. Police were called for an assault in progress and found Simon bleeding from two stab wounds in his chest and one in his neck. He later died at the hospital and police arrested the deli clerk, 51-year-old Jose Alba, for second-degree murder. Alba's 61, by the way. He's every bit as old as he looks. Now, Simon died. Every death is sad. But at the same time, decent people can acknowledge that some deaths are much sadder than others. And Austin Simon's death is not one of those. Simon was a thug. He was a taker. He was a cruel and vicious bully. Austin Simon was the sort of person who beats up old men simply because he can. Functional societies have zero tolerance for people like Austin Simon because people like Austin Simon hurt the weak and prevent the productive from producing. They themselves contribute nothing. They are, in fact, the mirror image of men like Jose Alba. Jose Alba came to the United States 30 years ago to work, and working is exactly what he was doing at the bodega in Harlem at almost midnight on Friday, selling chips to people who don't bother to work, holding up the retail economy for minimum wage. A healthy society celebrates, venerates men like Jose Alba, men with jobs and families, men with independence and dignity. And above all, a healthy society affirms the right of men like this to self-defense. Self-defense is the cornerstone of all liberty. If you can't defend your own life and property, you have no rights at all. And that was obvious in America for centuries. This was a country whose leaders encouraged decent behavior, who held up the common man, as a hero, but that has changed. Jose Alba wasn't lauded for his bravery or his resourcefulness. 
He wasn't congratulated for defending himself in the face of a violent felon much younger than him, though every single normal person who watched that video on social media applauded, every single one. And yet Alba was arrested at the scene and he was sent to jail. An openly racist, Soros-backed prosecutor called Alvin Bragg then charged Jose Alba with felony murder. He sent him to Rikers Island, a jail famous among Democrats because it's so squalid and so dangerous that they have spent decades trying to shut it down. All right, we'll continue. Man was sent by Alvin Bragg to prison. Hello, everybody. The fight between good and evil is pretty stark in America. Okay, we continue with uh, Tucker Carlson's discussion of what is as clear as possible the left-wing division of right and wrong is not the normative one. If a black commits evil, for many leftists, it's understandable. And a white who is innocent is evil because he's white. In this case, I don't know if even the Dominican would be called white, but a Dominican man was attacked in his store by a guy with a rap sheet, a guy who is a thug, but the thug happens to be the same color as the district attorney, and even if the district attorney were white, as in the cases of Philadelphia and Los Angeles and San Francisco, it would be the same thing. They, too, divide the world not between right and wrong, but between black and white, rich and poor, strong and weak, and so on. He is put in prison, in his horrible prison, with a $250,000 bail for protecting himself and stabbing this man. Continue. So bad they didn't send Jose Alba there. And then Bragg set his bail at a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000, in a city that very recently was considering getting rid of all bail. Compare that to the bail of other violent criminals. Now, a judge later lowered that bond to $50,000, but the message that Bragg sent was very clear to everyone watching, and it was this. If the criminal who assaults you is a member of a favored group, you don't have the right to fight back. You may not defend yourself. You must take whatever he gives you, because thugs have more rights than you do, you being the person dumb enough to be working at almost midnight in a bodega in Harlem on a Friday. That's the message. All right. It wasn't... We'll leave it at that. By the way, I have an update on this, which I i don't know where I learned this. A, a GoFundMe page was set up for the Dominican man to help pay his bail, and GoFundMe took it down. There is nothing the left doesn't poison. Nothing. The moment leftists get into any any anything, no matter how beautiful it was, the 4-H club they have ruined. All they know is Soros-like destruction. They build nothing, they destroy all that is beautiful, including beautiful music, beautiful architecture, beautiful art. If it's beautiful, the left loathes it. 
they like scatological art exhibits, which I brought to you repeatedly. Right? Remember the giant turd exhibit in the Netherlands? That's what it was called. I didn't make it up. New York Times reported on it respectfully. Yes, giant fecal matter. That's what the left is good at. Making fecal matter. They obviously think highly of it because it's prominent in San Francisco. San Francisco is like a living fecal matter exhibit. It is very hard for people who are not leftist. It's very hard for decent people to understand the destructive, the pathologic. It may be impossible, but it doesn't matter if you understand them. You need to understand what they're doing. If you look closely enough, there's actually some good news. No, I'm not drunk. The sewer pipe that is Hollywood and the wider regime entertainment industry in general is dying on its arse, despite the market being completely saturated with CRT propaganda, LGBT social engineering and forced diversity casting. What's the biggest movie of the year? Top Gun Maverick. The first blockbuster in what felt like forever that didn't pander to any of that shite. It just cracked $1 billion box office worldwide. A movie, and get this for a novel concept, a movie that didn't seek to shove a political ideology down your throat and actually saw, above all else, to entertain the audience. Shocking, I know. A movie that dared reference its misogynistic first incarnation as a nostalgic love letter to the original fans. A movie that refused to be cowed by the modern-day purity pitchfork mob. Top Gun Maverick does not denounce toxic masculinity. Who braces it? Yeah, and that's why everyone loved it, bitch. Top Gun Maverick should have done something to fit our times. Oh no, a popular movie that doesn't genuflect to our cultural colonisation agenda. The absolute horror. Disney's new Buzz Lightyear movie, on the other hand. Well, Flop doesn't even begin to cover it. Fearing it was going to be another browbeater lecturing the audience about the message, the audience stayed away in their droves. In its second weekend, it couldn't even be indie movie The Black Phone. And despite Lightyear being released weeks after Top Gun, the Tom Cruise hit still nearly doubled Lightyear in sales the weekend just gone. Total ticket sales for Top Gun, over a bill. Total ticket sales for Lightyear... 152 million. It hasn't even covered its budget yet. Pathetic. Lightyear scraped a woeful 5.3 on IMDb compared to Top Gun Maverick's 8.6. Beyond the cliche, this is actually a solid real-world example of get woke, go broke. And it seems Disney was being punished not just for the content of the movie, but also for their far-left political activism over the Florida don't say gay issue. Yeah, it turns out that siding against parents in their bid to protect kids from predatory gender identity and sexual indoctrination isn't very popular with parents who might otherwise take their kids to see your movie. Wow, who knew? Picking Team Groomer wasn't quite the win you expected it to be. Who knew that offering to pay for travel expenses that fund abortions of kids would piss off parents who have kids? Disney's stock price has plummeted from $200 down to $90. They're now totally dependent on income from their theme parks, which are already being depleted of visitors thanks to the pandemic. And it's just a hunch, but Disney's upcoming offering Baymax, in which some amorphous gender non 
non-binary blob takes female sanitary product advice from a biological male wearing a transgender flag. Probably isn't going to do them any favours either. Excuse me, which of these products would you recommend? Oh, um, well, these are the tampons I usually use. Thank you. I prefer pads. They're more comfortable for me. Thank you. I always get the ones with wings. Thank you. Get if you want a vision of the future, imagine a trans Michelin man re-educating your toddler on how dudes can have periods forever. Netflix is also hemorrhaging viewers at an unprecedented rate. The network that proudly proclaimed this back in one of its 2019 flagship shows Straight white men are cancelled. Turns out the only thing being cancelled now is Netflix accounts. 200,000 subscribers lost in the first quarter of the year, with an expectation that a further 2 million will be jettisoned by next month. How's that diversity casting working out for you? Their stock price plunged from almost $700 a share to $190 a share in less than six months. Quite the fall from grace since 2020's Cuties Nonsflix debacle, one of the primary factors for the alarming decline. Well, as Elon Musk put it, Netflix's embrace of the woke mind virus, which is making it unwatchable, prompting the company to circulate an internal memo vowing to produce more content for people with differing political views, and a message for anyone who didn't like it that they should quit, with hundreds being fired in the last few weeks alone. Netflix fired an entire team of writers for the Tudum website, almost all of whom were women of colour. Most watched Netflix show ever, Squid Game. No woke brainwashing in there. The last series of Dear White People, meanwhile. If I said I only dated white guys, that'd be racist. Right? Well, that was pulling in IMDb scores in the low fours. Yeah, you'd think they'd have learned their lesson by now. Meanwhile, fresh off their Top Gun success, Paramount's new streaming service, Paramount Plus, says they won't cave to the mob. The CEO of the company has rejected trigger warnings and efforts to sanitise older films to satiate demented left-wing censors. Quote, I don't believe in censoring art, said Bob Backish, adding, If you don't like it, don't watch it. The worm appears to have turned. They really do seem to have overplayed their hand. Tinseltown has gone tits up by trying to make everything political. Denying people the ability to at least escape cringe world for a brief period of time by starving people of uplifting archetypal allegories based on universal human ideals by caging everything within the partisan hectoring sanctimonious prison of political correctness. But it seems that in greater numbers than ever, the public having previously put up with it for the sake of being able to see the latest movie, has had enough. Whisper it quietly, but the edifice of woke brainwashing, at least in the entertainment industry, could be starting to crumble. We're also seeing massive pushback in sports with transgender bans in both swimming and rugby. And if that goes, maybe the next domino to fall will be the education system. The long march through the institutions may have met a roadblock in the form of a watershed, market-driven revolt. Someone's not coming back from this. It's absolutely crucial for you to help me fight the war on free speech by supporting me via subscribe star, link in description, and also signing up for my free newsletter at summit.news forward slash newsletter.